Hey everyone, this is Tony, Dungeon Master for D&D Raw. And it's Bethany, who plays Saria. And today we just kind of wanted to go over a little bit of Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Mainly because it now has three of the classes that our characters play as official Wizards of the Coast playable subclasses. Not mine, though. I'm trying not to take it personally. The Mystic <laughs> will be finished one day. It'll at, be official, right? At some point in the future. Yeah. So, for today we'll be going over the Way of the Kensei Monk, Cleric Domain of the Grave, and the Inquisitive Rogue. Now, I want to bring this point up first, that our players won't be changing their original Unearthed Arcana builds, based off of the way it's phrased within Unearthed Arcana before it actually now is part of Xanathar's Guide. But we did want to mention what the changes are and show some of the differences that Wizards of the Coast have made since initially putting out the playtest material. So for now, we're going to start with one of the classes that's had the fewest changes from its initial build that we were using for Sildan, the Way of the Kensei Monk. So Adam, who plays Sildan, by the way, was like, all right, Xanathar's Guide came out. I looked at it. I got some questions. Mainly, will I be able to do calligraphy? I feel like that's important. I feel like that's something that would really add to my character. Just kidding. I don't really think he's going to have time to do that. But at the same time, calligraphy? <laughs> In some distant backstory, Sildan could know how to do calligraphy, but it's not going to matter. And... I told him no, but that is one of the main differences that Sildan would be able to have. So one of the things is under Path of the Kensei, now each of his specific aspects has a name. So like his ability to parry an attack where he can use an unarmed strike in addition to a regular attack is now actually referred to as Agile Parry. There's also the Kensei weapon specifically referencing that he can specialize in a particular weapon type. His Kensei shot, which Adam has not used... But one of his Kensei weapons, if he throws it as a bonus action, it can deal an additional d4 points of damage. Now the part of it that is new is the Way of the Brush. What this does is it could <laughs> give Sildan proficiency in either calligrapher supplies or painter supplies. Which was Adam's takeaway of what he felt might be missing from his current build. Not really for this campaign, but just for like, you know, for him to be like well-rounded, you know, like he cares for his little monks and he does calligraphy on the side. Why wouldn't he? He really wanted this, but I also told him that there's no point to it. It's not going to come up. Yeah, I think he got that, but in his mind, Sildan is a calligrapher. Oh yeah. Now, I did want to mention other changes to the class itself compared to the Unearthed Arcana, and one of the differences of this class is under Sharpen the Blade. Now, this time it specifically states that the key points used to enhance the attack of the weapon doesn't work on a weapon that already has an enhancement to its attack and damage bonus. The original Unearthed Arcana stated that you could use up to three key points to increase the attack and damage bonus of a weapon, in the Xanathar's Guide, and now just specifically states you can't do this to magical weapons that already have a Yeah, bonus. that seems fair. It I does. Mean, and that's kind of a general Wizards of the Coast approach, right? You can't enhance something that's already enhanced when it comes to, like, magic items and that sort of thing. Yeah, now it's just part. specifically stated. Yeah, because some of the things they made are sort of goes with how we interpreted the original play test materials. We thought, okay, I think this is what they're saying, so now they just really added some clarification, so we're not, like think we're doing this right? That's actually one of the big things with all the classes so far is reading the original Unearthed Arcana material while there's like a paragraph of text has now been shrunk down to like two sentences. 
just to make it simpler, more straightforward, and just a little easier to understand what they actually meant by it. Mm-hmm. But that's all that's really different in terms of the way of the Kensei monk. However, the domain of the grave cleric is very different. A lot has actually changed. So first I'll go over what would be different with Kalima had she been focused on the Xanathar's Guide version over the Unearthed Arcana. In this, her one of her first abilities, the Circle of Mortality, it already grants her the ability to cast Spare the Dying as a bonus action. Now, for her Xanathar's Guide, she can cast it at a range of 30 feet instead of touch. So I did bring up to Tony, I'm like, just just hypothetically, if you know we're in a scenario where like a lot of the party's down, Kalima needs to cast Spare the Dying, wouldn't it be great if she could cast it at a 30-foot range? It'd be nice, but we had already decided since we're already so into the podcast as we are, that we're not going to shift to the new Xanathar's Guide. But Tony, you need to understand, we're players, so we want to um, have our cake and eat it too. Like you that's, do. That's, a, that's our approach. Like It can't hurt to ask. You are <laughs> always welcome to ask. Yeah. And I am always welcome to say no. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to this, while, again, it's a little bit of that Wizard of the Coast are specifically stating something, it does say now that it doesn't count against the cantrips known by the cleric. So if they, in their cant- in their cleric list, it says that they know three cantrips, this is not part of the three. While as before, it didn't specifically state this. We assumed it, though. We assumed it, but it hadn't said it. Yeah. Next comes with Eyes of the Grave. Now, Kalima's used this once so far mm-hmm. in the podcast, and it's now a little bit more... You get a little more versatility out of this than you did before, but its range is much more limited. So before it took her a minute to focus on this ability and it could extend up to a mile and it would give her distance, direction, number, and as well as what type the undead with the highest CR was. It was very much kind of like the um, the ranger's uh, primeval awareness ability, which is great as a player and really not a DM's favorite thing when you're like, uh, excuse me. Please tell me within the mile. We'll just say a mile. What's going on? Um, feel free to check your notes. I just, um, I need to know. And uh, details, please. <laughs> so as much as I would love to switch this over, I'm kind of going for an all or nothing approach, of course. So I'm sticking with the original writing of this. But what it does limit is it limits to once per long rest of this particular use. Mm-hmm. Now, the Xanathar's Guide version treats it as an action instead of a minute. But it only extends up to 60 feet and only to creatures not behind total cover or protected by divination magic. Divination magic? No one would ever be protected by divination magic. Yeah, that never happens. Uh-huh. Now, it does get rid of the number, the distance, and the direction of undead, as well as the type of undead that had the highest CR. But it's sort of like a more immediate undead radar, like a ping. It's... <laughs> Yeah, it's a much more immediate, like, hey, is there any really close? So is it kind of like, all right, in Dragon Age Inquisition, you know how when you're going around, like, running through the hinterlands, you have that little ability to click in your thumbstick, and it sort of sends out a little pulse, and then it gives you a little bing when there's, like, some loot nearby or a plant you can pick? That's kind of the perfect way to describe it. Now, you won't be able to see it the way that you can in Dragon yeah, but Age. but you hear a little But ping. you hear the ping. <laughs> and you're like... There is an undead within 60 feet that is visible. Mm-hmm. The key word is that it's visible. It's right. not behind like a building or that means that you guys can, could see it if you perceive if correctly. Yes, if you look in the right direction. 
Another big difference is while before it was a one-time use per long rest, it can now be used a number of times equal to her wisdom modifier. That's a so lot she can, for a cleric. She can use it now four times, but the range is severely limited. She probably still wouldn't, can't use it as much as I use that ability in Dragon Age, which ping, I use ping, pretty much ping, ping. constantly. <laughs> oh, that's a great ability. So one thing I did forget about Circle Mortality is that in both cases, she still gets, if someone is at zero HP, they get the maximum healing of a healing spell she gives them. Which is pretty epic, especially at low levels where you are scraping by with, well, some people are scraping by to get as many hit points as they can. Some people have lots of hit points. And temp hit points. Yeah, you know, it really depends what kind of class you picked. But like for a, a little wizard, perhaps. Oh gosh, that was mean. Not a little wizard. A wizard with a little amount of hit points. Is that better? That's slightly better sounding than a little wizard. Yeah, he's a normal-sized wizard. Sorry. <laughs> Daryl, you are, I know you are a normal-sized wizard. Um, <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> anyway, jumping to the Channel Divinity, Path of the Grave that she has. Originally, it was just a range of touch, and Kalima hasn't used this yet. Now it has extended the range to 30 feet, and what this does is it, it gives a target vulnerability to the next attack to hit it. And that means any damage type that hits it on this turn, all of that doubles. So it's not one particular damage type. So, for example, your sword that deals both cold, cold and man. slashing, both would be doubled, not just slashing. Because it's all in one attack. Yeah, that's pretty epic. Now, she can use this pretty much the same way as any channel divinity. Just a specific number of times a day. Yeah. But if you hit someone hard with an attack on the next turn that she does this to somebody... All that damage is essentially so, crit. So, question, just hypothetically. Mm -hmm. um, Saria has that ability where I can, you know, do extra psychic damage with yep. uh, attack. Would that also... Bonus action, 5d10. Yeah. I mean... If you use all five side points. Always use all five side points. Unless you're running out of side points, which would never happen. But that would work too? That would work too. Essentially, if you convert all of that and do the attack... So your attack on Travon... Mm-hmm. You crit. Yeah. Now what this would do is even with the crit, whatever your crit roll was, the entire damage is doubled. Because of vulnerability. Because of vulnerability. So that is a massive amount of damage that can be dealt to a single target. Now she can only use this, again, very limited amount of times. And as we're keeping it, it is currently a range of touch. Right. That's fair. But um, that'd be pretty awesome for uh, like a character to actually use in a campaign. Yeah. And one thing that the... Unearthed Arcana edition mentions is even if they have resistance or immunity, the resistance immunity is instead gone. It's re replaced. It's gone. So okay. it's a flat oh, attack. Oh, okay. It's like it's brought down a level. The new Xanathar's Guide version does not mention resistance or immunity, which implies that they just get vulnerability to it. Wow. So wait, what's that quote from the, now you will die? Is that basically- Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I guess. So it's basically <laughs> like that, where she can go to someone and be like, now you will die from a range of 30 feet. And Pretty then, much. And then they just take- And then they feel a little vulnerable. Whoa. They just are like, oh, those words, so painful. Yeah, that's actually a nasty ability. That's why they limit the amount of use of that. That's fair. One of the other abilities now going past what Kalima can currently do. Now, this is a cool ability- for later on, but it's called Sentinel at Death's Door. Originally, you could only use this once, but per short or long rest. Mm -hmm. Now you can use this another time equal to the player's wisdom modifier, but it only recharges on a long rest. 
What this does is if an ally within 30 feet gets hit with a critical hit, it turns it into a normal attack. Whoa, that would be great for those moments when everyone's like, no, in slow motion and can do literally nothing. Yeah, so that is a really nice ability. But she would get a, a sixth level. Yes. It's a reaction. It is a reaction. I, it would have to be, right? Otherwise, yeah. she'd have to be psychic. Well, that's your job. Thanks. Two other abilities. And like I said, the domain of the grave changed quite a bit from the original. But one thing they changed was previously there was an ability, Divine Strike, where you could add a D8 of necrotic damage to one weapon attack you did. Mm-hmm. And it increased to 2D8 at level 14. Now it's potent spellcasting, which adds the wisdom modifier to any cleric cantrip damage that you deal. I mean, that can be pretty good because some cantrips are pretty great at later levels if you've chose wisely. Part of the problem is cleric damaging cantrips. So sacred flame? Oh, the sacred flame. <laughs> hey, sacred fame, f- sacred flame is, uh, I think it's kind of underrated. It's an awesome spell. Yeah. It's just an extra damage, especially one of my favorite combos for clerics is spiritual weapon mm-hmm. and then sacred flame. Because the spiritual weapon just stays up for a minute. No you're concentration. Like, you're like, you do you, spiritual weapon. It's like, you got it. I'll keep bonus action attacking somebody. Just it, same turn. Oh, I can still cast another spell and damage someone? Sure, let's do it. Yeah, when I've uh, played a cleric, I've had a couple of times where I played a cleric who was like a an NPC who was with the party in combat. Tony was like, all right, you can play the cleric. And I was like, great. I don't know what I'm doing when there's no one to heal. And I was like, sacred flame. It's a great spell. Yeah, it's a great go-to and it doesn't burn a spell sl- slot. So you can save all those slots for healing. Because, of course, in my interpretation, this NPC was really focused on saving their spell slots for healing. For some reason. For some reason. It's to save you. It's for the good (laughs) of the group. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) The final ability that the Domain of the Grave Cleric gets is called Keeper of Souls. Now, Xanathar's Guide has increased its range. Originally, it was 30 feet, but has increased to 60 feet. So this was kind of cool about it. So if... The cleric sees an enemy die within its range, Mm -hmm. which is now 60 feet. It can choose to regain hit points equal to the enemy's hit die. Maximum hit die. die? Number. Okay. Yeah. Equal to the enemy's hit die, or it can do that for an ally within 60 feet of it. So wait, what's the story thing for how this mechanic works? Like, what is... Tell me how this works. This sounds kind of evil. I'm going to mention this real well, quick. I mean, a Domain of the Grave cleric is not evil, but kind of a bit dark. So the exact wording is, you seize a trace of vitality from a parting soul and use it to heal the living. So you're like scooping a little handful of soul. Essentially, as the soul is leaving, you take a small bit of it and heal either yourself or an ally within 60 feet. I mean, if you're doing it for the right reasons, that's okay, right? You can also do this only once per turn. Well, that seems... Once per your turn. Once, yeah, so once yeah. around. Yeah, otherwise you'd just be like, soul harvesting. I mean, wait, wait, what are we calling it? Sorry, keeping of souls? Yeah, you're the keeper of souls. Harvesting. Seems a bit more... It's a bit dubious. Nah, yep. It's fine. I'm sure it's fine. So that's all of the abilities uh, that have changed now for the cleric domain of the grave. Mm-hmm. So going on to Tor... As our final subclass that we're actually using within Orenthal. 
Except for the mystic who wasn't included in Xanathar's guide for some reason. I was going to say that's official now. <laughs> I'm sorry, mystic. Mm. So, that's okay. She'll get nerfed. <laughs> probably. Some of these abilities have been nerfed a little bit or just more specifically stated. Yeah. Which is actually kind of... A perfect place to start for the Inquisitive Rogue, whereas Ear for Deceit is now just more concisely worded. So what it was before was essentially when you're attempting to detect a lie, you can roll the dice and take either the number rolled plus your insight, or you essentially have a DC 8 plus your insight check. It was actually worded even worse than that, which add, add your wisdom. If you have proficiency, you add your proficiency. If you have expertise, you add double. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically, this is just a clarification to what it already had. So what it just says now is you roll, and anything rolled less than an 8 is considered an 8. That's a lot easier. Kind of much simpler way to write this. The next ability that Tor has is Eye for Detail. He hasn't really used this. So one of the big things with this one is, as a bonus action on each of his turns... He can use a perception check to spot hidden creatures or an investigation check to figure out puzzles or clues or anything like that. Which is great because otherwise those perception checks and investigation checks are your action. Any sort of check is an action. Much to the chagrin of many of our players. <laughs> well, part of the thing is I know not everybody plays this way, but the one reason I realize that stuff like perception checks are considered actions is because of a, the dragon's ab legendary action ability. Yeah, though it's funny when you're looking at a dragon's legendary actions and you're like, oh, look, he can do this amazing thing like swipe his tail or flap his wings or he can make a perception check. Oh, I mean, it's so hard to decide what choice what to, to use. do. I mean, this perception check to fight the enemies who are right in front of him that he can see. I guess maybe it would be different if there was a really sneaky party or if he was just a really paranoid dragon. <laughs> so a dragon. I don't know. I, most of the dragons I've played as DM have been really cocky. They tend to get very true. comfortable in their dragonness. Like, they're in their lair, they got their horde, or... You guys also dealt with a fat dragon who was very sure of himself. Oh, that's true. That was in Out of the Abyss. <laughs> <laughs> so, another of Tor's ability that he has used is his insightful fighting. Mm -hmm. Now, this allows him to use a bonus action to use his insight versus his opponent's deception check. If he wins... He can use sneak attack damage on them, even if he doesn't have advantage. Now, the original wording had it so as long as there was no enemy within five feet of him and the target, he could still use it. And he could even use it if he had disadvantage on the attack roll. Now it's a little different. Person near him doesn't matter, but he can't use it if he has disadvantage. That seems fair. It's a little bit more focused, but I think they realize having disadvantage on a target and still getting all that sneak attack damage didn't make sense, like, in a real scenario. Well, because disadvantage, as a mechanic, implies you are at a disadvantage for some reason. So how like, can you hit that sweet spot to hit the sneak attack? I mean, you could always be really lucky. And use lucky. <laughs> well, there's that. Or, you, or I mean, you could crit or something. But, yeah, I think that, you're right, that makes sense just from kind of a combat narrative perspective that you really shouldn't be able to have that sort of conflict. Yeah. How can you hit the, the weak spot of your opponent if you're having a hard time just hitting your opponent? Yeah, that's true. So going past Tor's own abilities into the rest of the Inquisitive Rogue, there's an ability Steady Eye, which they've tweaked a little bit. It does play off of his ability to use bonus action to perceive, but now he gets advantage on those checks 
if he only moves half his speed so on his turn. So he's like skulking along, checking things out, doing a perception and investigation. Yep. Is he- well, actually, now it is also investigation. Originally, it was only perception. Oh, so now okay. he does get advantage on both perception and investigation if he moves only half his speed on his turn, where originally he could not move if he wanted to get the advantage. I mean, this would be better also if you weren't a dwarf. <laughs> Move of 10 feet, because if he moves 15, technically that's more than half his movement Yeah, speed. exactly. That's what I was thinking, so it's only 10. But still. Now, second to last ability for the Inquisitive Rogue is the Unerring Eye. What this does is specifically states you need an action to do this, but it allows the person to get a sense that there is an illusion within 30 feet of them, that there's a shapeshifter within 30 feet of them, or any other type of magic that is meant to disguise something. Okay. Basically, the unerring eye, the idea is such a focused rogue can sense that there is something wrong. Something magically wrong. They don't get what it is, or they do figure out what it is. No, they don't actually get what it is. They just sense that something within 30 feet of them is not what it appears to be. Something is not right. Okay. That could be really handy for particular types of enemies or in certain scenarios. Yeah, like shapeshifters. I don't know, maybe. Like that would happen. Yeah. Now... It does specifically state you get no insight into what is hidden or into the true nature of the thing. In addition, now what it does is you can use it a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier per long rest, whereas before it didn't imply a limit. Oh, so you could just spam that. Granted, it is your action, though. It's your action. Yeah. But But now it also specifically states it's your action, whereas before it didn't. I mean, you would assume it was an action. You would assume so. But... But again, I think it's a little bit of just clarification more than anything else. Which is good. We like specificity and clarification. Otherwise, well, let me clarify that. As DMs, both Tony and I like specificity because otherwise we have a few players, I won't name any names, um, like me, who try to just make sure that I'm being totally clear on exactly what my ability means and what it does just because I don't want to use it incorrectly. Or, you know, not use it to its fullest extent. Right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's just what I'm doing. I'm just trying to be a responsible player. We also said yeah in almost the exact same tone. That never happens. (laughs) The final ability for the Inquisitive Row is the Eye for Weakness. The only thing this does is adds extra damage, but it adds an extra 3d6. Originally it was only 2d6. But it only works on a sneak attack against someone who is under the effect of the insightful fighting feature. Now that's a bonus action, right? Insightful fighting. So you can use the insightful fighting... And then activate the Eye for Weakness. The Eye for Weakness is essentially already activated. It, oh, okay. It's not an extra thing. So what it does is you activate well, Insightful Fighting. But then, I mean, I mean, use your attack action, I assume, to like, go, let's say go in, for the gut. <laughs> in Tor's case, he uses a crossbow mostly. Oh, that's true. So he'll do, in, he'll do his Insightful Fighting. He'll fire his bolt. And his normal sneak attack damage, plus his regular damage, mm-hmm. plus 3d6. That's a lot of damage all in one shot. Yeah, that's true. Not too shabby. What level is that at? That is a 17th level. Okay, so it's a little far off, especially considering, you know, we're not leveling. Nope, <laughs> not this. for this campaign. Not for this campaign, because we're keeping it short and tight. Mm-hmm. Focus on the story. All right, so Tony, my question is, what's better? I mean, we've talked about, yeah, Arcana did that, Xanathar's Guide did that. If someone wanted to play one of these classes, what should they do? Should they use the free... Unearthed Arcana materials, or should they get Xanathar's Guide? So, comparison-wise, the Way of the Kensei Monk, both work. The stuff between the Xanathar's Guide and the Unearthed Arcana material for the Way of the Kensei Monk is the same, for Mm -hmm. the most part, unless you are Adam and want to do calligraphy. 
The big difference, and what I think people will pick the Xanathar's Guide over any Unearthed Arcana material, is the Domain of the Grave Cleric. Mm-hmm. Now you have a little bit more limit in some of the abilities, like the range of the Eyes of the Grave, but being able to use that several times a day within a 60-foot radius versus once a day, even in a mile radius, I mean, think about it, it takes a minute as well to cast... And sensing, okay, there's a number of enemies within a mile in that direction about 700 feet from us. Doesn't mean they're going to be there by the time you get there. Within 60 feet, that means you can also see them. Mm-hmm. Having the Sentinel at Death's Door, that's kind of awesome. All the abilities of the Domain of the Grave Cleric seem to have been enhanced in the Xanathar's Guide. And I think that one's honestly a better fit. Mm-hmm. Makes you feel like more... I guess, connected with what's going on in the combat besides just keeping people from dying and healing. Yeah. Right, gives you a little more connection to... Death. The, to death, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, the passage on, essentially, is the whole idea of the the domain of the grave. Yeah, and I know Rachel took that into account when she built Kalima. And yeah, so I think that's something that she definitely tried to integrate so that still totally would work with her character. So we did consider, or we talked about, like, hey, should we switch over to Xanathar's Guide so we can update these? But it's also really hard to change your character after you've already been playing it. We've also used a lot of her abilities as it is, and I don't want to necessarily say, oh, well, suddenly you feel your power is weaker in one sense for Eyes of the Grave. It's not weaker. It's just changed slightly. Like, yeah, just have to, like, kind of retcon things that have happened, so we decided to keep it consistent. We decided to keep the original unearthed arcana usage of this of these particular subclasses. Lastly, the Inquisitive Rogue. Honestly, one of the big differences between Xanathar's Guide versus Unearthed Arcana is that Xanathar's Guide makes it much more specific as to it the range of its abilities. It's more concise. It gives you it's it's better written, is part it's, of what part of what you're saying. Yeah, it's better written. I would say again, Xanathar's Guide in this case is better overall for the inquisitive rogues it also gives you for example the steady eye now you have also advantage on uh investigation checks and you can actually at least move half your movement you don't have to stand perfectly still yeah yeah that's definitely a bonus so all right so we've talked about the Arcana and comparing it to xanathar's guide can we talk about how much we love xanathar's guide Xanathar's guy is amazing <laughs> i was super excited for this to come out it um came out on my birthday so i did not purchase it for myself. I, I think, did. Yeah, I kind of had a feeling that you were going to get it. But it's great. I love it as a player and as a DM. It's got, besides just these classes, there's all sorts of amazing things. Just like recently, we were building characters for our annual Christmas uh, game. We play with friends and we have some new players who, they're totally new, not just to 5th edition D&D, but to tabletop gaming really in general. So it was kind of like a bit of a challenge to like, I mean, they were excited about it, but to bring them in how to build a character, and Xanathar's Guide is awesome for character building. Like, it gives you all these tables, like, I don't know what to name my character. Here's a whole bunch of names. Here's a way to refine your backstory. What kind of home did I grow up in? How many siblings do I have? Like, there's all sorts of resources that really help you nail down those story points, and it's not just for new players i found it really useful too when i was creating my character for that we both did Uh, a lot of what we did is i'm winding up creating a shadow sorcerer for this game and rolling on how do i have my power how did people react when i first exhibited it how did it first show itself to me essentially um what was my life like growing up 
just rolling on these tables really helped me create a pretty quick backstory for this character. Well, yeah, and sometimes we rolled something where, like, that doesn't feel right, so that kind of gave you a sense of, well, I didn't know where I wanted to go with this, but this doesn't feel like it's the right fit for this character, so it give you kind of a way to compare and say, okay, well, maybe my character grew up kind of, like, in a nice home. Maybe I wasn't an orphan. D&D characters are never orphans, so <clears throat> that's always out of the question. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Um, but... Also, as DM, there's all sorts of great stuff in there. There's some things I haven't gotten to use yet as a DM, but I really want to, like complex straps. That sounds awesome. Actually, one of the things, and this is something that I find really funny, is the falling mechanic. Considering that was the very first rules as written episode we ever did was on falling. Yeah. They actually have a specific rule for it now. Well, for falling from, uh, from high altitude. From high altitude. Yeah. Yeah. So we were like, aha. This has nothing to do with our episode, I don't think. This is just But cool. it was really something that caught our eye when we first saw the table of contents. And we're like, okay, they're going to answer our question. Then we saw the answer and I'm like, hmm. We still might tweak our <laughs> way of using it a little bit. But one of the big things that we are not as certain on is essentially if you are pushed from a structure and can't grab the edge in a high altitude situation, you immediately drop 500 feet. Which is a lot. That's a lot. I mean, maybe not if you're fighting uh, a dragon in the sky. 500 feet still gives you a lot of time to recover, maybe. But at other times, that could be pretty But essentially, your speed doesn't increase. You are always dropping 500 feet every turn. Which doesn't take into account our whole discussion of terminal velocity that we had in our other episode. So if you're curious about that discussion, that's our first Rules is Written episode we did last year. Yep. Where we really just analyzed to death how falling damage would work. And how teleportation would work with it. Yeah. So So if you like that type of stuff, go ahead and check it out. But we thought that was awesome that it was included in Xanathar's Guide, an actual mechanic for this. But yeah, I think Xanathar's Guide, pretty great. I have heard people say that some of the spells are really overpowered. Yeah, and in my first reading, I haven't gotten to use any of them yet. I picked some for my Critmas character, and um, I think they're... They're fun. I don't know how it's going to actually play in the game. I think the one I picked was one that people have been mentioning. The healing spirit might be a bit bit overpowered. I don't know. I have shadow blade because it's a shadow blade. And that sounds cool for a shadow, shadow sorcerer. Because you got to stay on brand. Right? Just, shadow. All shadow all Yeah, the time. all shadow all the way. You don't want it to be like, whoa, what's this? You have some sort of sun-related artifact or spell. You'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Shadow, shadow, shadow. Anyway, sorry. That was a little off topic. Just a little. But... If you are either a DM or a player and you really want to get some great material to help you with running a game or building your characters, I think Xanathar Guide is pretty great. Honestly, even for the aspect to help you build a backstory for your character, I think that could be amazing for a DM who might need to build some backstory for their NPCs on the fly. So doing a couple of quick rolls to have a couple of points in case you you have an NPC that players are for some weird reason really curious about that you hadn't planned to have talk about his whole history and his past this could be a really cool way in order to fill that out a little bit yeah so recommend xanathar's guide absolutely it's a good gift it is a great gift as has been proven yes excellent gift we'll keep your dm or player or wife happy yep (laughs) or spouse or whoever friend also, it, I don't know about, I know we talked about this, but it looks a little Christmassy themed. Yeah, even. the standard Xanathar's Guide cover has um, Silgar, the goldfish who belongs to Xanathar on the front. And it kind of looks like a Christmas ornament. So I'm pretending it's festive. 
It's all about Christmas. <laughs> it It's not, but it, it could be. <laughs> it could be. So, I think that kind of covers everything. We could definitely do more talking about Xanathar's Guide, but we'll try to keep it short, because we just wanted to have this little quick episode on our off week to share yes, with you guys. This is a quick episode. Yeah, this will right? be quick. This will yeah, be fine. Yeah, yeah. So thank <laughs> you guys for listening. We also have the information that Tony ran through on this comparison between, you know, Arnold Arcana and Xanathar's Guide for the classes we've used. Uh, that's going to be on our website in a blog post. So that's at dndraw.com if you want to read all the details. If you're really into that, we also have links to our character sheets as they currently are if you wanted to see what that looks like. To see what the old Unearthed Arcana is for our current characters that is already on our website. Uh, I will be posting the blog very soon as to what specifically changes have been made in terms of what they have versus what they would have had. Thank you all again for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Rules is Written. You can also, like we said, check out our website, dndraw.com. If you have any questions to the DM, send them to dm at dndraw.com. And that's how Tony will find out what your questions are. One thing we want to mention is let us know what you think about kind of this sort of different format, kind of going over some rules and giving you guys some mechanics just to kind of contrast with our actual play series, uh, Orenthal. So let us know what you think. If you like this, if we should do more like this, where we just sort of hash out different rules because we like rules. We do. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you guys for listening. Leave us a review to let us know what you think of the podcast if you're on iTunes or really anywhere else you listen to the podcast. And we appreciate it. We really do. And we hope to see you all next time in Orenthal.